Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. James Franklin staying at Penn State. How does that shuffle the coaching search across college football? What does LSU and Florida have in mind for their head coaching hires? We're going to get to that in just a moment. The Titans have made a ton of roster moves, including releasing Adrian Peterson and signing... Wide receiver Golden Tate. Paul, what's the latest? Okay, so signed to the active roster. We knew earlier today because his agent said it. Dontrell Hilliard, deserving. Buster Screen, the veteran cornerback who is not very good. He's not good. John Simon back. They signed Screen because Chris Jackson is on IR. Marcus Johnson with that hamstring we saw happen before our eyes is on IR. Uh, Vrabel said yesterday uh, Chris Jackson had been playing on one foot, uh, so we knew he had. Uh, back for returning to practice, Kari Blassingame, Kari Blassingame um, uh, remains on IR. Signed to the practice squad, four new guys, wide receiver Golden Tate, running back Rodney Smith, wide receiver Austin Mack, defensive lineman Kevin Strong, and released from the practice squad, Chris Rowland, Rowland, and defensive lineman Niall Scott. Uh, Rowland, a local guy, went to Ravenwood High School, my hometown. Uh, no, yeah, he went to Ravenwood yep, High he School. He's from Nolansville. Played at TSU. Uh, not yep. not far from me. So a flurry of movement. Biggest thing there. Scrine's going to be called on to help out in the in the secondary where they're banged up, uh, at least for depth. And Golden Tate probably going to play ahead of uh, Golden Tate or Cody Hollister. I would think is going to play ahead of Des Fitzpatrick on Sunday if they can get him up to speed. Didn't know his offense. Hollister, uh, Gold, when we Golden mentioned Tate him yesterday. Golden Tate is going to come in. And know the offense. And know the offense way better than, than Des Fitzpatrick did. Well, he's got experience knowing NFL offenses, which will give him a head start. Des Fitzpatrick, no such Again, experience. Though, slow, yeah. Bad they drafted pack. a guy who was Trained around the team all camp mm-hmm. and has been on the practice squad and has, has had the playbook and cannot grasp the mm-hmm. offense. and. Golden Tate will. It, it's it's bad. 13 Thanks. roster moves at the end of November for the Tennessee Titans. Um, coaching moves happening across the country, and especially in the SEC. Time to get the very latest with Outkick's Glenn Gilbo, uh, senior SEC writer and columnist for Outkick.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at LSU, beat tweet. Glenn, let's just start in Happy Valley, outside of the SEC briefly. James Franklin stays at Penn State. Are you surprised by it? And did Florida or LSU have any interest in James Franklin? No, I'm not I'm not that surprised by uh, James Franklin staying at Penn State. Um, I don't think people were really trying to get him uh, that hard. He, he doesn't he's on a lot of lists, but he doesn't seem to be at the top of uh, of lists at LSU, USC as far as I can tell. So, uh, you know, it's a pretty good gig he's got. So I'm not, I'm not surprised he's staying there. Glenn, when you look at the LSU opening, is it looking more and more like Dave Aranda at this point for LSU? Well, that's what I was told uh, yesterday morning 
that that Dave Aranda is LSU's favorite uh, target right now because he was at LSU. Um, he's very clean hire, squeaky clean, you know, no issues at LSU with the Title IX lawsuits or NCAA investigations. Uh, just a simple family man. And, you know, they've had some issues there. So uh, they really like him. And he was a great defensive coordinator when he, when he was at LSU. He was like a professor, very well respected among coaches. Not a great recruiter, but I don't think that should matter because – LSU's had some bad recruiters recruit well. I mean, it's hard not to recruit well at LSU, and he can hire the right people and, and do that and then just come in and, and, and close on. In fact, I, I kind of like it that if, if he does become the head coach, you know, you, a head coach just needs to close sometimes, I think, in, in recruiting. And he needs to – LSU's next head coach needs to focus more on roster management and developing talent than than gathering the talent. Glenn, so let's let's go with what you know that they're going to hire Dave Aranda. Who is who was the second option? Who was the number two choice that they chose Aranda over at LSU? Well, I mean, Dave Aranda could go to USC. I mean, I, I don't know if LSU is going to get Dave Aranda. I, I would say right now that the, the second choice, if they do get Aranda is Billy Napier, the, the Louisiana coach. I think Napier should be number one at this point if, if you can't get uh, Lincoln Riley uh, and you don't want to go after Lane Kiffin. Um, I think Napier has more experience than Aranda. Uh, he's, he's been a, an assistant under Saban, under Dabo Sweeney. He's, he's won consistently at a place that's tough to win. At Louisiana, he's, he's, he's uh, younger than Aranda and – but this is key. He's on the offensive side of the ball. LSU needs a head coach who's been on the offensive side of the ball, I think, more so than defense. They've never had a true offensive coordinator as their head coach. Glenn, are you surprised that with, with all of this, these two high-profile jobs in LSU and Florida coming open, that here we are with a possible bidding war for Billy Napier between Florida and LSU with all the names that have gone to Matt Campbell and Luke Fickle and James Franklin and and Lane Kiffin, that it could come down to LSU and Florida and Billy Napier deciding between those two great jobs. Are you surprised at all that this may be the case a week from now? Well, a little bit, but you know Napier's been a hot item. I mean, he turned down Auburn last year. Some people say he definitely turned down South Carolina and Mississippi State two years ago. Uh, he took his name out of the Missouri job early. He's been a, uh, a hot candidate so that doesn't surprise me that much but it, it just says that guys like Lincoln Riley you know they want to stick where they are you know Lincoln Riley would be a home run hire at LSU but unless Woodward's got a secret deal made it doesn't look like that one is going to happen Jimbo Fisher would be a home run hire at, at LSU uh, but but he, he wants to stay at AM. so you know coaches make so much money now sometimes it, it makes better sense to stay. I mean, I just posted a story just now about Lane Kiffin. Wouldn't it be great if he stayed at Ole Miss? I mean, there's some advantages to him leaving, but he can he can make a lot of money at Ole Miss too and, and have, a, have a great program there for, for several years and get Arch Manning possibly. Tell us more about Kiffin. If he doesn't stay, where, where do you think he's heading? And you think there's truth to the idea 
that he likes Miami potentially. Yeah, well, Lane, Lane has a house. And I'm, I'm having to put my ear close to, sure. the, to the phone because I'm outside here. Um, but um, Lane Kiffin has a beautiful home in Boca Raton, which is where he, Florida Atlantic is located, where he was coaching there. Miami is about an hour from there, so that would be cool. Um, but but Miami seems like a tough job to me, and, and uh, I think Kiffin would be great at Florida. But – you know, some people say the Ole Miss job is is as good as Florida right now, uh, and and you know if he gets into a bidding war and he's only making only making four million at Ole Miss, maybe they could bump him up if they want to keep him. I think that would be smart. But you know, I, th- I think Lane um, is going to be an NFL coach again at some point. He was too young when he went to the Raiders, and uh, I mean, just think if Ole Miss signs Arch Manning the 2023 season and and Lane sticks around with him for a couple of years and then just kind of rides that into the NFL. That would be great for Ole Miss. I I hope he stays, Glenn, because he can accomplish. I mean, I I don't know what the end game is for him. Maybe it is the NFL. He can accomplish what he needs to accomplish at Ole Miss the same way he could at Miami or Florida, especially whenever they when they extend this college football playoff to 12 teams. He can be there at Ole Miss just like he can be there at Florida. Yeah, and he might be able to accomplish as much at Ole Miss as he could at Florida, too, especially with Georgia kind of taking over that division with Kirby, only 45. You know, Alabama will probably be great again next year if they're not this year. But Nick is 70. I mean, at at some point, he's going to retire over the next four or five years, I would assume. And, uh, you know, so then the West would be a little easier to navigate. Or Lane could go to Alabama. Glenn Gilbo, our guest, LSU Beat Tweet on Twitter is where you can find him. Give us your take on the Iron Bowl, Alabama and Auburn. I know Bo Nix is not playing in this game. That's unfortunate. (laughs) Um, But given the fact that Alabama already knows they're in preparation mode for Georgia, what does that mean for this rivalry matchup? How about Bo Nix? Locker room material, but he's not playing. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Pretty cool move. Uh, by by Bo, that that's just decades of uh, of watching Alabama games, and his you know his dad went to Auburn, obviously he was a quarterback. But um, you know the Iron Bowl is a special game. I, I think it's the greatest college game. I, I really do because there's just two major schools in the state of Alabama. There's no pro teams to speak of. They, there was a USFL team way back, but that that's all there is in that state. I've covered that game, and it's it's really. It's like a holiday, and it and it's all consuming. Even if one of the teams is not having a great season, like Auburn, and there's not a lot of significance to the game this season. But it, you know, as far as the standings this season, but it's such a it's such a great rivalry because so many of the players on on the two teams played against each other in high school, and they get along better than the fans do, really. And um, it's always been an exciting game when, when I've seen it. But, uh, you know, Alabama has not done well at Auburn in recent years, but I think Alabama will win this, you know, handily. They're 19-point favorite. I think it'll be in the 14 to 18, 19-point range. I know you changed your travel plans. You're not going because of the, the injury to Bo Nix. Uh, but the way <laughs> Alabama has been playing lately, they've been winning. But it's not like it's been easy. They haven't been coasting in the fourth quarter. LSU, Arkansas are two great examples there. 
Auburn has a chance to keep this game close. I'm with you. I don't think they win well, the game, but they can keep it close. And we just saw the Vegas adjustment, Glenn, right? From 28-point favorites over Arkansas, who's a much better team than Auburn right now, to 19 yeah. uh, with Auburn, who just lost to South Carolina without Bo Nix. Right, right. You know, Alabama looked very human against a bad LSU team or, you know, at least an average LSU team. They um, they didn't they didn't look great against a, you know, above average Arkansas team. They almost like Florida, which is a bad team, beat them early in the season. So this is not a great Alabama team. Uh, you know, so I could I could see Auburn hanging close with them. And, you know, maybe T.J. Finley will improve a lot from his first start to a second start. And crazy things happen at, at Jordan-Hare Jordan uh, in recent years when Alabama goes there. So, you know, I think it'll be close for a while, but I, but I think Alabama will eventually pull out. And I'd love to be going to that game, but I need to be at the LSU game in case there's a new coach introduced there on Saturday or there's one in the elevator or something like that. Glenn Gilbo has been our guest. Always great to have you on, Glenn. We appreciate you, and uh, we'll recap all the craziness from the SEC season next week, and we'll preview the SEC championship game with you next week. We'll be at that one. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll see you there. Great work on the coaching Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and read his work and Trey Wallace's work online, outkick.com. Doing a great job, both of them. Phenomenal. Phenomenal work from Glenn and from Trey. Trey will be on the show tomorrow. So the argument of Lane Kiffin to leave or not leave from Ole Miss that you you raised there with Glenn Hutton. If he leaves, I don't think he's leaving in the SEC. I really think that Lane Kiffin could see an opportunity at Miami that's unique and very different from Ole Miss. And I say it from this perspective. The argument you make for Florida over Ole Miss is, first off, Florida's a better program historically and overall. It's a better recruiting base. Also, Florida right now is in the easier division. So Ole Miss, yes, they're good this so year with a Heisman Trophy quarterback, right? Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback. Um, are you always going to have that level of quarterback? I, I don't know. I can understand the appeal of Florida. Here's why you don't go, though. We don't know that there's going to be divisions in the SEC when Oklahoma and Texas arrive. Right. So it may not matter. You may not have constant Still about opponents. A job. You may have 16 teams in the conference and a, a constant floating schedule where it's one through 16 with no divisions. So then it, it's, it's less appealing, I think, Florida over Ole Miss at that point. I think Miami, though, their chief competition in their division is Pittsburgh. I mean, that's their toughest competition in that division for Miami every year. So if you're Lane Kiffin, you say, I can go there, never, never get on a plane to recruit. You never have to get on a plane to recruit in Miami. You can just stay in South Florida, get every player that you need, and if you do that, you are going to have, while if it's a 12-team playoff, a lot of teams can argue we have an easier route with more teams, you have a very easy route at Miami with Lane Kiffin as your coach to get to a playoff consistently. That's what he's got away. I'm not saying what the right decision is. I understand people saying he should stay, but I do think it's a unique opportunity at Miami, possibly, if that job comes open for someone like I know Kiffin. it's not that important to the to to a lot of kids, but I take all those schools where the the football is so far away from school and put them in a different, tougher basket. I I think it's to a to a share of kids unappealing. It's so detached from university campus school life. 
You're saying to play at Miami yes. Gardens? It's just like a, a it's a satellite thing. You know, yeah. who's coming to watch? I just Miami with the right coach is going to get players. It's it's, it's been gonna, a long it's been a long time. Though. I agree. It's going to it's going to happen. It's going to eventually happen. Lane Kiffin also says yesterday, which I laughed, uh, someone retweeted and said, yeah, he's not long for the SEC with this mindset. He said, so he was asked about the Egg Bowl, and he said, I, you know, it's just football. He said, I don't understand hating someone because of where they went to school or something like that. I'm like, this is kind of Lane Kiffin's demeanor. Everything's funny thing. to him. You know, like the golf ball even, he makes a joke out of it and does all that and doesn't understand a lot of, uh, you know, the, the you ruckus know what, with though, it. though, he is long for the SEC if he wins a lot of games at Ole Miss. You know, so they'll say, well, he doesn't hate Mississippi State enough, but we win 10 games. Well, and I don't know that it's it, – that's just sort of who he is, right? He yeah. is not a guy who grew up in this or hating a certain school. His dad moved around a lot, coaching mm. a lot of different places. So you don't get attached to anything. And clearly he's not a guy who gets attached to a certain program. I don't think he's attached to Ole Miss right now. I, I think he's probably surveying his options with Jimmy Sexton as, as his agent. It's going to be a fascinating decision. Um, again, I think there's pros and cons on a lot of different sides of this. Also, you Ole asked, Miss, Florida, Miami, USC is obviously not in the mix for him, but there's a lot of different ways to look at and it. And to me, you ask a big question, like who's his next quarterback? Who's he got his well, claws into? Is he on his roster now? Is he coming? Would he go with him to is, Miami? Would he go with him to Florida? I do think that his offense, though, there's a lot of quarterbacks who could have success in that offense. It's not just Matt Corral. Right. Well, and, and with the open transfer portal. Yeah, I can have somebody a lot you can easier have whoever you than want. he used to. Yeah. What, so the big question for me is not if Lane Kiffin wants to leave. What is Ole Miss willing to pay him? Because if so, they step up to the plate, right now he's making four and a half. James Franklin is making eight and a half at Penn State. Where has Ole Miss come down on the Lane Train money line? With this. Halfway between? It's, it's Ray's season, and he's about to cash in. He's going to play this perfectly and get cash. He's going to need to get seven plus. If he wants to get seven plus from Ole Miss, that's what, they, that's what they're going to pay him. Because he could easily say, I could leave from Miami or Florida. It goes up to five million or next LSU. year. But, They'll yeah. give it to him, yeah? Yes. Sure. Uh, but but I, I don't know so. what level. Like uh, uh, They'll give it to him uh, on, uh, over the course of a contract in a certain year. Right. But are they going to guarantee him you know, eighty-five million over ten years at Ole Miss? The way well, that, in Mississippi, you can't get a contract. Well, okay, five. Right? Okay, so Four are they going to give him forty-five over five? Um, I I don't know. Miami would, with the right donors, Miami would. And unfortunately for Miami, their biggest supporters in prison. Well, and it's that, not that is so. Everyone is different too. Like we we have a tendency to compare these things like with Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle, by all accounts, is very different from a lot of people in yeah. that he's not Matt Campbell, clearly. Matt very Campbell, different. too. I'll put Billy Napier in that category. Billy Napier could have gone to South Carolina, Missouri, Tennessee, State. possibly, Mississippi State, uh, Auburn. Glenn Gilbo just said he turned down all these jobs to stay at Louisiana. There's a reason for that, and it's not because he's making more money at Louisiana than he's going to at these jobs. So money is not the sole driver for everyone. Uh, getting to the top conference isn't the sole driver for everyone. Location isn't the sole driver for everyone. It's different from coach to coach. I think Lane Kiffin's different, just like Luke Fickle's different, just like Matt Campbell's different, just like Dave Aranda's different, just like Billy Napier's different. 
So we have to be careful in just saying, well, $8 million in any, any job is going to get this guy. We, we don't know that. For some, that's true, but not for everyone. Well, once upon but a e- time... either way, no, you play the game. Once upon either a time... Either way, you play the game. But because Jimmy Sexton is their agent, the game will always be played. And the game will always be won by Jimmy Sexton win. clients. That's right. But once the game upon was a time, just won today by James Franklin, by the way. Right. Who for an entire year has been rumored at every job. Tennessee could have had James Franklin at that number. He would be Tennessee's head coach right now at $8.5 million. They wouldn't do it. He eventually got it from Penn State. Once upon a time, a higher percentage of guys would have gone to Florida at eight and a half or whatever Florida. I, I think Florida would be willing no. to pay the right coach eight and a half million, but I don't know that the right coach is out there right now. The well, only person I'd be willing to pay way. eight and a half million at Florida is Lane Kiffin. Yeah, and Hutton's been saying that from the beginning. Like, mulling out sounds fine, but who in? Yeah, who do you bring in? Who's better than Mullen as a game day coach? Uh, no one's just obvious. And a lot of these guys might be really good. They're just not flashy on the front side. Right. Well, Billy Napier's the Billy one. Billy Napier's that, the guy. He's won 10 games three straight years. Yeah. It's, it's his time. And it, he's also the coach that LSU won't hire because he's the coach at Lafayette. Which I don't understand. And LSU refuses to hire Lafayette's coach. It would be like, you know, uh, Tennessee hiring an in-state coach. Which I don't understand. You know, that, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't get Isn't it Isn't it a no-brainer that LSU should just go right up the road? To Lafayette and hire Billy Napier? Yeah. If he winds up at Florida beating you, you look pretty dumb. No doubt. Look, he's, right. he's been in your backyard the whole time. We need a fumigation in here. Coming up, we get into Paul's three things to watch as the Titans prepare for the New England Patriots. We'll also go through all the roster moves. There were 13 of them today. Crazy day. For the Tennessee Titans. Golden Tate is a Tennessee Titan. Adrian Peterson is not. This is Outkick 360. Zach Wilson is back as the starter for the Jets He's this back, weekend. Baby. I don't know who the backup's going to be. Mike White tested positive for COVID. Joe Flacco is in COVID protocol. So their two backup options behind Wilson are not going to face the Texans. So if the Texans knock out Zach Wilson, to this point, I, I mean, their practice squad guy might be Josh Johnson. I'm not sure if he was demoted back to the practice squad after we saw him play on that, was it Thursday night game? Uh, again. Is there much of a difference between Josh Johnson, Joe Flacco, and Mike White? I don't think so. Throw them in a blender. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's your update on two of the worst teams. Uh, just, I bring them up because both of those teams beat the Titans. I'm perpetually amazed. <laughs> Weekly update. Guys like, is it Chris or Kevin Streveler? Always mix it Kevin, up. Kevin, I think. Kevin Streveler, no, Tim Chris. Boyle, <laughs> and then you got these other guys who just hang around like Josh Johnson. For years on a practice squad, and there, there's so much good quarterback play at the college level, and guys just disappear into the ether. You never see him. Get, but Tim Boyle gets a chance, and he ends up starting a game in the NFL. It's it's wild to me how some of the stuff happens. Paul, it give really us three is. things that you're watching for as the Titans prepare for the New England Patriots. Well, we've been talking a lot about Mac Jones, right? And he's been very, very well managed. Twenty two sacks. He's throwing uh, for 10.9 yards on average, which is the exact same number that uh, Ryan Tannehill has thrown for this year. The ball's getting out quick, um, and the Titans' pass rush needs to reemerge this week after after Houston found a way to make it a non-factor. So I would say Titans need to find any way to make them hold it a beat, not go to the first read, yeah, yes. uh, hesitate for a second, anything like that. 
that throws him off of this management schedule that has made things so good for him. That comes with a combination of coverage and pressure, obviously. But I think um, if you can make him get off schedule for a, an inkling, uh, for a, a, a beat, anything like that is going to help them. Uh, you know, he's not as good when he's off schedule. Nobody is, but especially a rookie. That, to me, would be the first key to this game, and I'm sure they're talking about that a lot. Get that hand up right, mirroring his arm. All of those things become super important this week. Secondly, you got to find some plays. Look, and we've talked about it. I'm not expecting A.J. Brown's going to emerge this week. If he does, he's, he's going to be sore as but, hell. By the way, Paul, but, your first key there, that's something that's attainable that you don't just have to wish and hope upon that's right. a star. They can do that. They can totally This do is that. totally within the Titans' defense's grasp. Right. Is to affect Mac Jones. Yeah. Anyway, I just want to bring that up because I think these other two maybe option not. Option two maybe more. Yeah, these other two thing. maybe not. Um, they got to find some place. Like I don't know that that you know. Do you think the Titans go there and have four drives? You know, down down the field steadily with the run game that they have right now no. and with the unreliable targets that they have. So I'm thinking you got to find a couple of of big plays. Well, here's the bad news: the Patriots have given up. 10 plays, uh, 10 runs of 15 yards or more this season. They've given up 10 pass plays of 30 yards or more this season. They do a pretty good job with big play limitations. The Titans are going to have to break through in some way, shape, or form, I think, and find a few big plays uh, to, to make things a little bit easier on themselves. It could come on special teams. It could come with a defensive uh turnover deep in Patriots territory or or with an interception or fumble return, but something big. And then that goes right into something really obvious here. They're going to have to score some points. The Patriots give up 16.1 a game. That's league best. I think this is the second time this season they're facing the best uh, scoring defense in the league. I think Buffalo was the best scoring defense yeah, in the league they when were. they faced them. 16.1 is not a lot. I think even if you scored that, you'd lose this game. So you're going to need to, to find a way to score. They passed on a lot of field goals last, last week. I understand why. Uh, and, and John McClain was really good on it. He said, I think Vrabel has taken into consideration the opponent. Texans stink, and he figured he could convert fourth downs and go get touchdowns. It didn't pan out that way. Against this opponent, you're probably going to have to settle for some field goals, but you're going to have to get points, chew away at that, and, and you're going to have to be somewhere at 20s at least on the scoreboard, to win this with a good defensive effort. So combination of those bigger plays, find them to, to mount some some yardage and, and get on the damn scoreboard. I don't know if you if they have to get on the scoreboard all that often. I, I think they need to mimic a plan of what the Dolphins did in week one. Final score was 17-16. I realize that was Mac Jones' first yeah. start, but this needs to be a defensive game. Mac Jones threw for nearly 300 yards in his opening start. The, 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 the Patriots had a 100-yard rusher in Damian Harris that day. They put up 16 points uh, against the Dolphins' defense. Again, it's week one. There's been a lot of football played over the last 10 weeks in between those two. But Maybe. Point but being, it'd be safe to score 20. It'd be a lot easier. Well, 20 may not win it either. But yeah, but my, in the 20s. My point is, though, this has to be a defensive-led game where yeah. you force some turnovers – you run clock, you win time of possession, you muddy the waters, and you get this game to the fourth quarter, and you win the game on a field goal. Start by making it hard on Mac Jones. He's found a rhythm and a comfort. you got to start by making him uncomfortable. And like Chad said, the important thing here is 
There are a lot of things the Titans aren't very good at right now. They weren't very good at them against the Rams or the Saints either, but they found ways to win those games. They are still, that front four, even minus Dupree, a a very good group. Let Simmons, Autry, and Landry lead the way here. Those are the guys I'm looking for to lead the way. Yeah, and you know... I I mean, the Titans could win this game 15-13. to When you say they might have to settle for some field goals at times, I'm thinking with this offense and lack of weapons... You better hope they get field goals at some point in this game. Like that's not a bad thing for the Titans because yeah, take it's the defense. When you can get them. It's the defense that has to carry them, and they're capable of doing that against this Patriots offense. Now you got one concern over there. You know, you hope Buster Screen, the screen, isn't playing a, a, a big role. He is not you know, good. You need Jackrabbit Jenkins healthy. Uh, you know, and hopefully he and Fulton and Molden are are, are good enough against, you know, middling batch of receivers. One of my goals uh, and the top goal is to bring fair and honest opinion and analysis to this show. Anytime the Titans sign a player that I know for a fact they built game plans around when they faced them, that's not a good sign. He was in Cleveland. What was the the guy's name this offseason that retired? The minute they signed him, I said, this guy sucks. I cannot believe it. Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson was terrible. Terrible. Another former Brown. They brought – they went at him – and had success against him. When they were facing the Browns, Buster Screen, uh, Buster Screen has been around the league. When facing Jets, him, Browns. they went at him and had success. Had success. This is this is no savior coming into the secondary. But this is what they're down to, right? They're uh, like this. I know, I know. Everybody always says them. they should go out and sign, uh, you know, a corner. Yeah. Well, well, when you're saying go out and necessity. sign a corner, this is the corner that's on the street. Is Buster Screen. Yeah. Right. If you if you think there's something good out there, like when they hit on Hilliard, who looks pretty good, that's an exception. Right. <laughs> that that's the miracle. When you say go sign a tight end, the comparable tight end out there is Buster Screen. There's a Buster Screen of tight ends out there. Golden Tate signed today. Um, I don't view him the same way I view Buster Screen. I I'm curious though. Well, he's uh, going to be better than how, how let's, was. Let's be fair to the to the conversation. Because we asked it with Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson was signed off the street. He had 27 carries for 82 yards, and he was cut. Why is Golden Tate available? Uh, that's my big question. Well, because I, I, I hear Golden Tate, and I think, how is, how is he out there? Part, part of it, I think, is, I mean, he's old. People fear old. Another thing is, I think he's a pain in the ass. People don't like to deal with that. Uh, I asked Blake Bettingfield, our friend, the former 19-year scout of the Titans, how he, he would fit in here. The first question he asked, what kind of shapes he in? Uh, he said it won't be a problem for him to pick things up and that they should put, they'll put him on the field for specific things that he'll be able to do, you know, which is at this point what you want. This should get them out of having to put Des Fitzpatrick on the field in situations where he doesn't know what to do. And that's all you're looking for at this stage. That's the best you can hope for. Yeah, I mean, this, is, um, this fits what their offense is right now. Quick passing game, slot receiver, uh, get the ball out fast. Um, he can play the role of Adam Humphreys. They're missing Adam Humphreys this year. People haven't brought him up in a while. Uh, and I know he, he's not worth the conversation because he's always hurt. But when he was active, he was good. Uh, having him this year in the rotation, they weren't. he wasn't worth keeping at the money. Um, when you think about who they've lacked at number two. By the way, Marcus Johnson is done for the year. The oh, second, time second, he, time? second time he's been on iron. Mm. He's not coming back. That's bad. So I hadn't thought of that. who's the number two receiver now? Golden Tate. It's here's, Golden Tate. Here's the thing about your Adam Humphreys comparison, which is, is really good. I hadn't thought of this. 
Because Chester Rogers has some slot skills, but Chester Rogers hasn't caught many balls, correct me if I'm wrong, facing the quarterback, like with his back to the sticks where he's at the marker, which we all agree is Adam Humphreys was great at that. He would get to the marker. He would catch the ball. He would chug backwards, and you would know he had a first down. He would catch the ball and get crushed. Yeah. But catch it. That Golden was that was Tate. Adam. Every time he caught the ball, I thought he, he was going to no, be dead. Golden Tate would do it at that. the line to game. Yes. He would get a first down by a foot, catch it, get crushed, and you hope he Hunker gets back down. up every time. At Golden Tate will do that. Chester Rogers is a slot receiver, but he's not that kind of slot receiver. Um, and so I think Tate can do some of that. It's interesting that you bring up Humphreys. I think that's uh, – that's a good call. Tate, Tate certainly in his prime was a different kind of receiver, faster, go, uh, you know, quicker, shiftier, all of that. But um, I, I think that's a good name to mention, and it's certainly a degree of what they need. And here once again are the Titans, where no one's giving them a chance. Right. The Vegas line has gone from five and a half. It's seven, seven and a half now. Keeps creeping up. Is it that high for the uh, the last I checked? I think it was up to maybe seven. Uh, keeps creeping up for the Patriots. And it's a chance to wash away what just happened. And the Titans, for whatever reason, seem to perform well in those settings. It's uh, it's Patriots favored by six Six, on FanDuel. Six, okay. Over under 44. So they're expecting a low-scoring game. I'll bring my keys to the game tomorrow. uh, And I'm considering this one. I don't know if I'll use it or not. But over the years, the tight ends have had success against the Patriots. And Vrabel has used the tight ends to success against the Patriots. Anthony Ferkser has had success against the Patriots. I think of that wild card win where he caught a touchdown pass, I believe. Uh, Michael Pruitt can be used in this game. They can find yards to the tight end position. But now it's on Downing and Vrabel and the, the game plan they're putting together uh, to really put the foot on the gas when it comes to getting production out of that guy. How sad is the tight end position that you say that and I ask, yeah, I wonder if Jeff Swain's going to be healthy and able to play in this game. They, they need yeah. Jeff Swain, who's been their most productive as of late tight end. Guy's supposed to be because a, he's been a, on the an field. extra offensive tackle. Well, he's been on the field, and that's why they've well, thrown Ferkser, to him. If, Ferkser, he, if it's true that Ferkser's good for one game a year, this needs let to be, this the be the game. Let this be the game. Yeah. <laughs> Scheme him up. Let this be the I game. Mean, Extensive look, drives. Anthony Ferkser is worth it if they go to Foxborough and win this game because of his effort. They'll get nine but this wins. is his one game. Get to their ninth win of the season. Uh, no one's picking the Titans this week, and the injury situation is crazy. 13 roster moves on a Tuesday, uh, which was a practice day, by the way. We'll explain that in just a second. Uh, 13 roster moves on a Tuesday in November is detrimental. I mean, that's normally saved for a, a roster that has four or five wins right That's now. That's a month. They're, they've got double that. That's a month for most good teams. They practice today because they have Thursday off. Yeah, so I asked Mike Vrabel about this because it's usually you're game planning on a Tuesday. So I said, you're practicing on a Tuesday. You know, how that weird you squeeze in the game plan stuff? He looked at me like I'm an idiot. He's like, yeah, we've known when Thanksgiving is for some time. I've, I've you know, we've known that the Patriots are on the schedule for some time. They've just game planned ahead to facilitate the team having Thursday off. That's good. I mean, that's fine. That's they great. They can use the Pretty extra rest. It's really either way. Yeah, and today was a walk. Either today way, they're resting. They're walk. barely going to practice all week. Yeah, right. It's not like have. it's not like they have walked through today, but they would have had a more physical practice on Thursday. They are beat up to hell. Yep. And it, look, it, the rest of the season is going to be very light. He's probably not putting them in pads. Now, he did say something about, like, Raidens. 
They're putting Raiden's on pads on the side on some Thursdays because Raiden's not playing to get any better, needs some work in, in pads. So they find some guys to go work with Raiden's in pads so that he can get the work that he needs. They have side projects like that that you have to take out of the context of practice because practice is nothing like practice was in September. A.J. Brown not listed on anything today that's being circulated is there any indication about his status right now? Well, there was a report out that his um, – yeah, they're not due to an injury report right, today. Right, right. He'll be on an injury report tomorrow, I, I think. But there was one report from one of the national guys this that Ian Rappaport, initial think, chest right. x-rays were good, but there's, there's usually a second set that is more telling. Yeah. And I don't think we've heard a report off of those uh, second ones. That it is, it's just absolutely imperative – that those uh, be shared through the agent with the national guys. <laughs> uh, also, That's how uh, it'll be done. We'll get the news on Henry through the national guys. We haven't heard anything over the last ten days or so, though, on Henry. No, I should have asked today, uh, just if he's back around, because they said because they he'd wanted be him back, back around yeah. as soon as he was able. And they say, you know, three to four weeks is when you, you know. You start to walk around on it again, I think. And he's – is he at that point yet? Well, it's been three three games. Three games. So, it's probably right about at that point. I'll ask Mike about it on Friday. Coming up, we'll talk some Vols football, and uh, we'll talk basketball as well. Might as well. Top 15 team. And Chad's going to tell you there are three programs right now that have a top 15 ranked women's and men's basketball program. It's probably not who you think. That's next on Outkick 360. Coming up, Withrow's got three things to watch as Tennessee prepares for Vanderbilt. Vander, a Peabody, the Peabody School at Vanderbilt. First, though, Fandle, Fondle.com slash Outkick 360. Uh, as where you go. Makes me hungry for fun. Uh, FanDuel.com slash OK360. A great offer for Thanksgiving Day. Three games to choose from. 30 to 1 odds. Outright winner. Maximum bet is $5. It's got to be your first bet. Maximum bet is $5. You bet on the team to win. You can choose the Bears and Lions. Match up first. Uh, Raiders and Cowboys in Dallas. Buffalo takes on New Orleans. Uh, at the Superdome there against the Saints. It's 30 to 1 odds. You pick any team you want to win outright. If you win, $5 bet nets you $150. If you lose, you get that money back. It's a it's a free bet with your first bet at FanDuel.com. It's a Two great clear offer. clear winners there. Great offer. Great offer. Uh, check that out. Um, Chad, Tennessee and Vandy. I look at the spread, and I think – and I'm doing this at FanDuel as well earlier this week. You've already done this too. 31-point underdogs, the Commodores to the Vols. That's steep to me. That's a lot of points. Lots. A lot of points. And, and Vandy, um, you know, if you're going with the thought that, well, they just played one of their best games of the year, they're not going to play that well two weeks in a row. They had their best offensive game in a long time against Ole Miss. They lost 31-17. to 17. It was 31-9. But they scored late. Well, that's, but that's, the, that's a good point in Vanderbilt's that's favor, not, though. That's not bad. And that was a 36-point spread in that game. Yeah. And they lost by 14. Um, I'm betting Vanderbilt to cover the 31. Of this. That's just a lot of points. 
Tennessee is favored by more against Vanderbilt than they were against South Alabama. And that's point number one for me in this game for Tennessee. Treat Vandy like South Alabama. And most people would say that's, a, that's an insult. Tennessee treated South Alabama the way they should. They came out. They jumped on them. They were focused. There was no letdown in that game. They scored in their first seven possessions. They scored touchdowns. They did exactly what they needed to do. So Tennessee needs to treat Vanderbilt the same way. They need to treat them with respect as an opponent and be ready to play, but also knowing that you are the superior team. Chad, it is And been, play that way. I'm thinking about, I'm just going back a ways. I'm going back to the Dobbs era. It's few and far between where Tennessee took care of a bad opponent and, and destroyed them. That's what they did this past week against South Alabama. I don't have the number in front of me, but look at the record of Tennessee covering the spread this year. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. That's a good sign for a coach, especially when you're favored, how often Tennessee covers this season against the spread. And they did that in a big way uh, in a 60-14 to 14 win over, over South Alabama. So treat Vandy like South Alabama. Again, not an insult, more of a compliment to the way Tennessee played that game. How equipped is Vanderbilt to slow them a little bit in terms of pacing? They're not. No. Yeah. They, they, they can fake injuries. I mean, that's what people do to slow their, their – I mean, look, Vandy is – Dead last in pretty much every statistical category in the SEC. Um, they won two games by a combined five points against UConn and Colorado State. They should not be in this game in the second half. Tennessee should blow them out. I still think yep. in a rivalry game where this is Vandy's Super Bowl. Clark Lee said it today. It's emotional for me. It should be emotional for this team. It's different when you play Tennessee when you're Vandy. So this is their Super Bowl this game, but Tennessee should handle business. Number two, special teams awareness. It's been lacking for Tennessee. They give up an onside kick to start the second half against South Alabama, up 35-7. Then they go three and out at that point. South Alabama lines up to punt. I'm screaming at the television. It's going to be a fake. If they just kicked an onside kick, I don't think they're going to punt it right back to you. They fake it. Tennessee's in an all-out punt block. They easily get it on a big play. They gave up a fake punt for a touchdown against South Carolina earlier this year. Need to be better. They also had the 97-yard kickoff return from Bayless Jones for a touchdown in the South Alabama game. Special teams awareness against a Vandy team that's going to do some tricky things in this game. Be ready for an onside kick to start the game. Be ready for onside kicks at any point. Be ready for fake punts. Be ready for trick plays. But especially on special teams, Mike Eckler's group needs to be better. And if they kick it to Bayless Jones... I'd like to see what I saw from Bayless Jones. Run it. I mean, uh, Brent Hubbs has said this over and over. Punt return, kick return. He is a special player. He's got great vision. One of the big highlights. He's got good strength. He's got good speed. He's a great return man. Um, And lastly, I want to see Jalen Wright and and Lynette Whitehead. No Tyon Evans. Jabari Small played well against South Alabama. Still banged up. Those guys played well. I want to see more of them in this game. I want to see Tennessee running the football effectively with their running backs in the second half. Chad, who are the three programs in college basketball that have a top 15 ranked men's and women's team right now? The Tennessee Vols and two teams from the state of Texas. The Texas Longhorns and the Baylor Bears. Minus Kim Mulkey, the Baylor Bears top 15, both men's and women's course, the defending national champion, Mm -hmm. Baylor Bears. Quick note on uh, Tennessee basketball. Over the weekend, two for their first two tests of the season, they looked terrible against Villanova. Villanova's a great program. I watched that game, and I think this is a program win. They are veteran guys. They know how to defend. Tennessee got taught a lesson in that game, especially their young guys. And Tennessee's veterans play terrible. 
against Villanova, and they bounced back, and they taught North Carolina a lesson. Very good bounce It was a young team, and they took it to them start to finish. Zakai Ziegler, the five foot seven freshman for Tennessee from the Bronx, New York, that had no big offers until Rick Barnes came calling, he is going to be, you ready for a proclamation? He is the next Grant Williams slash Admiral Schofield find Ooh. for Rick Barnes. This is a four-year player who will be a legend in Knoxville. Big Yankee fan, it's I'm all sure, over. as well. Former Bama running back Kenneth Darby on the show tomorrow to preview the Iron Bowl. Trey Wallace will do the same and will preview the NFL weekend. I beg you, don't block the box, do lock the locks.